So a story for you. My life currently requires a fair bit of travel, but I was definitely surprised by my latest flight, as when I walked in, I realized that my ticket was in first class. This is seldom the case, and so I thought it must have been a courtesy upgrade due to frequent travel. I was traveling with my colleague and remembering a story I had read a few months ago, I quickly decided that I was going to offer the seat to somebody else. I mentioned this, this to my colleague, and his response was to do the same. So together, he and I made our way through the plane, smile cards in hand, I'll tell you what those are in a minute, looking for an unsuspecting person to tag. Towards the back, we found a couple unsuspecting young folks and offered an upgrade. They jumped at the chance. Once we sat down in a new seat, the woman on the other side of the aisle looked at me and asked, why would you give up comfy seats to strangers so you can sit back here? In cattle class, I responded. So I could see a couple of people smile, and they're not strangers, they're family. She liked that answer. So that is a great example of mudita, this quality of appreciative joy in action, where we delight in the happiness of others, often even appreciating it more than our own happiness. And so when that happens, when we, when we can live with that intention or spirit, then there's a lot more happiness available. As the Dalai Lama said, if you practice mudita, you can, appreciative joy, you can improve your chances of happiness by seven billion to one. Because there's a lot of joy in the world, right? There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of difficulty, but there's a lot of great things happening. Success, joy, um, you know, seeing kids graduate or take their first steps. So, you know, there's a lot of beautiful moments there to be spring, you know. And so if we can get over ourselves or get out of ourselves and actually take somebody in and see them for their, their, their um, you know, see the, their joys or their successes or accomplishments, and we can feel with them and celebrate with them. You know, really, it spreads. Happiness is contagious. Contrary to our popular view, which is, or our normal view, which is we think that, that happiness is a, is a commodity and it's scarce. Right? Anybody have that feeling? Maybe you're sitting on the bus or somebody or you're in a class and somebody or some people are really happy and they're laughing and they look like they're having a great time and and it, there's a f- sometimes there's a feeling like, well, if they're so happy, it's going to kind of like take it to some from me. <laughs> it's going to diminish the pot. It's going to diminish my, my, my chance. Right? And we kind of feel that. It's kind of almost visceral, like... Don't, don't be too happy. This is from the poet Isa, Japanese great haiku poet. If I expand the sense of who I am anymore, if I expand the sense of who I am anymore, I will break into cherry blossoms. So that's, you know, when you live with that much mudita, appreciative joy, it's like, you know, you Sometimes it's uncontainable. I have a friend who actually did this class some years ago, and she has that quality of delight, and and it, and it's just you can see how it's contagious because her delight lights up other people around when she's appreciating somebody else. So there's a great story of um, when the Dalai Lama was in New York. He um, some years ago gave a talk in Central Park. It was one of the f- when when 
um, I'm not quite sure why, what, what the occasion was, but anyhow, it was, it was the first time he'd been in Central Park, and they weren't sure how many people there that were going to come, and ended up, there were 250,000 people came to hear him talk, which was quite staggering. <coughs> and he, so he started off giving his uh, background of his life, of being raised as a young boy in, in, in a monastery in quite harsh conditions, cold and arduous practice, and taken away from his family, and then you know having to deal with the uh, invasion of the Chinese and the suffering and oppression that came from that, and then his needing to flee his country and his friends and family, and being forced to being put into um, um, into the position of Dalai Lama and basically being the political spiritual head of the country when he was 18, which is incredibly young age. And uh, so he's talking about his sufferings and difficulties and, and then about how when he assumed his, his residency in India and he greets all the uh, people, who the refugees who flee to bed every day uh, st- with absolute horrible, harrowing stories of, you know, the deprivation and torture and... Um, and then he sort of paused for a minute and then he uh, said, but you know, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> and then he laughs. And then I laugh. <laughs> and, and it was just like this great moment of um, that here's someone who's really, really very cognizant of the difficulty and suffering in the world. But through his practice, particularly through his practice of the Brahma Viharas, of compassion, loving kindness, appreciative joy, equanimity, that he's able to have this sense of buoyancy of heart. So the different ways of talking about this quality, sometimes it's translated as sympathetic joy or empathetic joy. I prefer the word appreciative joy because we're really appreciating the happiness, the well-being, the success of somebody else. But I also think about this teaching as uh, a way of... um, a way of turning our mind to joy in general. So, as, as I mentioned before, one of my favorite teachings of the Buddha is where he says, mm, whatever, that we, whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. Whatever we turn our attention to repeatedly, that becomes the habit. That's how we develop habits and character. And, <coughs> and so if we practice turning our attention to what's wrong, what's wrong with people, <coughs> right, people's faults, uh, all the p- problems of the world, what do we see? It becomes the lens in which we see each other in the world. Right? If we also pay attention, turn our attention to that which is bright, that which is positive, that which is life-affirming, that which is happy, beautiful, then that also starts to affect who we are because it affects our inclination. So in, um, in the insight practice, when you're tracking impermanence as a practice, you can either pay attention to the arisings of things or the passing away of things. And each of those, depending on where you place your attention, will affect your state of mind and heart. 
when we pay t- attention to the endings of things, we tend to feel more the loss, the sorrow, because everything's passing into cessation. When we pay attention to the arisings, there's more sense of life, of, of vitality, like spring. So the Buddha, um, in, in many different passages, talks about the, this practice and this path leading to states of joy, to happiness, to well-being, to delight. And also in the meditation state, to when we cultivate qualities of depth and absorption and concentration, tremendous um, possibility of, of happiness and, and internal delight. And there's a piece, this is one piece of a description on meditation. He's talking about different stages and, and he says the, the meditator enters and remains in the deep meditative absorptions. He permeates and pervades and suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and, bl- the rapture and pleasure born of composure. There is nothing of this entire world, there's nothing of this entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure. Does that sound like your meditation in the morning every day? Right? But it's possible. It's possible to... And, but what I, right, the reason I'm reading that, not your sh- practice should be like that, but there's a place in this practice for opening to joy and to pleasure and to rapture and delight. And my experience is this quality of mudita, which is really more attuned to the happiness of others and our orientation to that. Nevertheless, um, uh, that that practice actually increases our sense of well-being and, and, and um, capacity or receptivity to delight. So for just to take a moment for yourselves and to, to reflect, wh- what is it that brings you delight? Right? I hear from many a grandparent that it's being around their grandchildren. Right? How many grandparents do we have in the room? Do your grandchildren bring you delight? Right, seeing their happiness most of the most of the time. Most of thank you. Right, Right, there's a certain delight. There's certain mm, just with your young children in general, but if they're especially in that special relationship. But just to think about where where do you where do you feel delight? Where do you feel delight for others? Where do you feel delight for happiness? Whether it's your partner, friends, children parents, colleagues, you know, when your colleagues at work are successful in a presentation or a deliverable and right, there's, can, is, is it delight? Is there happiness? Appreciation? Or is there mm, some kind of withdrawal or contraction? I'll talk about the obstacles. So for me, a lot of my delight comes as you know, in nature, being outside and um, both experiencing delight in in the beauty, but also in the delight of um, uh, animals, birds. You know, just watching the way the birds fly here. I mean, you've got to th- you've got to believe that the turkey vultures love to fly, right? The way they just soar and play. I mean, they just kind of do that all day and occasionally. You know, pick a you know dead squirrel on the road, but most of the time they're just kind of grooving the thermals. So, this is a poem I wrote called "Bees in Paradise," which they are currently in paradise with all this beautiful blossom that's out. Today, a bee came to visit, resting a while on my hand. Her face so covered with pollen, she looked blissful. 
having spent the day wading through fields of blossom. Her, golden, her new golden gla- gown shed everywhere she went, yet every now and then she ceased her busyness to rub her delicate arms to brush some pollen dust from her body, leaving a pile of sweetness as delicate as she. And then she flew again to the lives that turned to the bright faces to the sun, to swoon in embrace of petals gathering fresh seeds of rapture. What simplicity, what joy, a life going from one smiling flower to another. Oh, that life were that simple and that sweet. Oh, to see your smiling face, your, fi- your, your smiling face immersed in spring's bosom, covered in yellow happiness. So anybody like to say what, what brings you delight? Just shout out something, anything. One word, two words. No agenda. <laughs> what else? Nature. Nature? Same, yeah. Mm-hmm. Children. Uh-huh. Hmm? Springtime. Springtime. Eating. Eating. Okay. What about the look on a dog's face when he knows he's going to go for a walk? Mm-hmm. Right? Like simple happiness. Gardening. Gardening, yeah. Anything else? Family. Hmm? Family. Family. Mm-hmm. Family. Music. Music. Pulling the static cling film off of new appliances. <laughs> Pulling the static cling film off new appliances. So this brings me to one of the points. Well, I'll get. I'll get to this about. Well, I'll say it anyway now. Um, so sometimes what blocks our, our appreciative joy is when we can't relate to the thing that someone's getting off on. So you may not relate to the peeling of the cellophane of the <laughs> of the appliances. Maybe you do. Um, but can we have happiness for them, knowing that it brings them happiness, regardless of whether it touches us or not? Because that's not the point. The touch. The point is we're rejoicing in what th- brings them delight. You know. So with children, it's a good example. You know, often what brings a four-year-old delight. Outside, bugs and dirt and smelly things and dead things and right? it's not something we'd go, ooh, lovely, let's bring it into the kitchen. No, but we can still, you know, feel their their rapture at finding a worm or something. So the mudita is is the 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 heart. So with, so with compassion, it's the heart turned towards suffering. With mudita, it's the heart turned towards joy, towards success. And so it's a it's a really important balancing quality, since there is so much suffering in the world. It's so easy for for us to get bogged down if if our hearts and minds are awake. There's there's so much pain in the world. It's easy to feel the drag of that and to and to be to weigh down. And so it's useful to know how to balance because it's not just suffering. There's also a lot of beauty and joy and life and creativity and growth. So one of the strongest examples I had of this quality um, was I was teaching a meta retreat on the East Coast with um, Sharon and a colleague of mine, Gina Sharp. And she uh, she just told us at breakfast that she'd just become a grandmother, first time grandmother. 
She was very excited. Couldn't wait to get home to see her grandchild. And she was giving the morning meditation instructions that, that day, so she was giving the instructions. At the end of the meditation, she said, I've got some exciting news to share with you. And she said, I've just been made a grandmother. And you know, people on retreat are generally in a much more sensitive, receptive place. And, and also, we were doing a meta retreat, so people's hearts were pretty open. So she said that, and w- so I'm sitting at the front next to her, and as I'm looking at 100 people meditating, and she says this news, and the whole room lights up with, with, with this quality of delight and happiness for Gina. Like, it's hard not to have happiness for a new grandmother, right? It's a beautiful thing. And so seeing the look on people's faces, it was very uh, electric, you know, the, the, the happiness. So another uh, time that was I was really struck by was I was studying in India with a teacher called was known as Papaji, but it's really Punjaji. And uh, many people would come every day and dialogue with him about some aspect of awakening. And he had a very powerful presence and teaching and transmission. And so people would have these very profound realizations every day. And they would come up and they would talk and they would share. And he would, when people would share their realization, he would just laugh and laugh and laugh and just be delighted. And, but his response with delight was to laugh and just to celebrate. And it was pure, it was pure mudita, pure delight in this other person seeing the truth. It was a beautiful thing. So the Buddha said that the, the mudita delivers, it's, it's, he, said, he called it the mind deliverance of gladness. It liberates the neg- negative forces of the mind. So it turns the mind towards the wholesome. and frees us from the sense of separateness. When we're feeling delight from some, for somebody, we're not feeling separate, where there's a sense of connection. And as I said, it's not just, I don't think it's just limited to how we feel for people's happiness, but also the, the delight that we feel, whether people talked about nature and other things, um, where we can be touched. So there's a line in Mary Oliver's poem. It's a poem about death, when death comes. She says, it, towards the end of the poem, she says, when it's all over, I want to say, all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. Right? I was a bride married to amazement. I, you know, so, so much of her poems are about wonder and awe and standing in the field, thrilled, and ecstatic, right? Just being touched. So um, we can develop this quality. The, the poet William Blake um, also had this. It was a, somewhat of a mystic and a poet and a nature lover, when, and often would disappear into the hills for long periods of times. And there's a, a line from a poem, is also from Mary Oliver, where she's quoting, uh, and it might be a direct quote, because um, it sounds a little similar to how they wrote in the line goes oh i miss my husband so he is so often in paradise and that sense of someone just being lost in paradise which of course is the name of one of his books so something in paradise so what's also interesting about this quality is the buddha said it's the rarest of the four heart qualities so the loving kindness compassion appreciative joy and equanimity it's the rarest and perhaps sometimes the most difficult to cultivate 
And so that's an interesting thing in itself, and, and to, to ask yourself if, if that's true for you. So which, which quality is the hardest for you to access? Love, kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, or equanimity? And when I, we talk about the obstacles, I think it becomes apparent why it's not so abundant. So I, I like to, um, uh, and have done over the, over, over the years, um, make it a practice to put myself in situations um, where I can access this quality. Uh, all right, so, I, so I become more conscious of it. So one of the places I, I like to hang out when I'm flying is, uh, is, is um, and this is particularly true when I'm in, in England for some reason, when I'm at Heathrow, I, I like to hang out by the um, by the exit gate where where people come out from security and there's, there's big families and the sense of probably haven't seen each other for a long time and and it's uh, uh, the Heathrow particularly is very diverse and so it's African families and Egyptian families and just people from all around the world Chinese and and there's just a sense of delight. Seeing and, and 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 I feel delight at their at their joy and their their happiness, um, and also being around being around children and families and and the delight in parents, um, who all have the most amazing special child ever, and just the delight in that in that fondness and that affection. So my uh, good friend and colleague Harry Cohen. We teach a lot together up the hill, and um, I'm godfather to his daughter Molly. And one year, I think when she was about five, he'd been teaching all week, and they hadn't seen much of each other. And he was giving the, the closing talk, and uh, Molly and her mom Annie came in to the back of the hall. And it's a big hall for those of you who don't know. It's, it's about this size, maybe a little bigger. And so Harry's giving this sort of formal talk at the end of the retreat, and Molly comes in, sees her dad, she just goes, Dad, just running down the hall and jumps into his lap. <laughs> you know, it's like, how can you not feel that sense of delight? Or, there are options to that, you know, we'll talk about those in a minute, <laughs> that are more suffering. This is from G.K. Chesterton. I think this is the same quote. I think called Earth's crammed with heaven. You say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and grace before opening a book and before stretching and painting and swimming and walking and playing and dancing and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Many ways to feel grace, to feel delight. So... What are the blocks? If this is such a groovy quality, why aren't we grooving in it all the time? So the far enemy, so each, each of these hot qualities have near and far enemies and near and far <laughs> obstacles. So the far obstacle of um, appreciative joy is uh, jealousy, envy. Right? When we just hate the fact that this person's got a promotion got a huge end-of-year bonus that we didn't get, that um, just made a lot of money selling some stocks or selling a house or, um, f you know, they, your, your friend tells you, you know, I just, 
I got this job offer to Hawaii and uh, I just also met this person. I think it's my soulmate. And I'm going to get twice as much money as I did in my old job. And they're giving me free housing. What about that? <laughs> and you go, oh, great. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Hope it sucks. Because <laughs> we, feel, we feel jealous. We feel like, I want that. Right? It brings out the grasping, brings out the greed, brings out the desire, brings out, oh, that's where hap- they have happiness and there's less to go around for me. L- happiness is a limited bucket and if you take a big chunk, I'm going to have less. I remember when a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, uh, she, we were in the same teacher training group and uh, she'd been doing a lot of work around money and trying to get more conscious around money and we were all sort of Dharma bums and didn't really make much money, and but she was convinced that she was going to, you know, try and change their relationship to money, and and she ended up getting this really great job offer uh, at a university uh, teaching mindfulness, which is at the time there was like no official jobs teaching mindfulness. It was just you know showing up and doing things, you know, in a very um, Buddhist way on dana, and so um, I was really jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I actually didn't want to go to where she was going, because I don't particularly like the city she's in. But even so, I, I wanted that, you know. And so it diminished my capacity to be happy for her. I mean, I was happy for her, but there was a little bit like, ooh, I wouldn't mind that job too. So, in the, so another obstacle is we compare ourselves. And we usually compare ourselves, and then we diminish ourselves whether it's thinking I should get that and I didn't get that, therefore there's, uh, what does that say about me? Or we come into the, uh, the meditation hall here, maybe you come in late and everybody's sitting really still and quiet and, and you, rather than thinking, oh, look at that, they came early and they're meditating, you feel like, oh, I'm such a loser, I came in late, I'm always late, how come I'm always late? I don't know. Or we judge what it is they're happy about. Yeah? How many times have you seen people you know who are really happy about something, but you're not crazy about the thing, so you kind of a little dismissive? So um, this happens to me a lot when I first came here, and you know, coming from England, the only religion there is is football, soccer. And um, so that was what I kind of lived and breathed. Um, and, uh, and so when I came here and, and friends of mine were, you know, into the Super Bowl and NBA playoffs and the team was winning, I just like, well, I don't really care so much about baseball. Like, it's just not, you know, football, that's not football. That's, you know, it's different kind of football. And, and so it was, it, I wasn't able to like, yeah, go Niners, you know, because like, I know it's not my football team. So to notice when you r- judge or write off what it is, th- and, and we do this with many things, right? Because we all have, you know, I think it's particularly true in families. Often our families have very different ideas about what brings happiness. Yeah? And so we, we may have a lot of judgments about that. I have some folks in my family who really into going to Disneyland, and it makes them really happy. And personally, I don't really care about Disneyland. and um, So it's hard for me to get really behind them because I have some judgments about it. Not that it's really a bad thing, but just not my cup of tea. 
I think also one of the blocks is a sense of scarcity. We we live. It's, there's such an interesting paradox in 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 this country, and but not just this country, where there's such a lot of wealth and abundance. We live in scarcity. We live in time <laughs> scarcity. We live in economic scarcity. There's so many different scarcities of not enoughness or personal scarcity. I'm not enough, right? I'm not. En- I don't have enough credentials, or academic qualifications, or there's just a sense of not enough, not enough in my 401k, not enough in. And so when we see someone doing well or successful, it triggers that sense of scarcity. So we can, we can change this with some, some, some things that I've, that I've practiced over the years that have been helpful. One is to, um, is to just practice turning my mind to what brightens, to what brings joy. Yeah, just w- within things we've talked about, nature, children, beauty, art. What uplifts your mind in my meditation? Practicing seeing the good. It's very easy, certainly easy for me to to see someone's faults, to see someone's, uh, you know, where they need to grow or something like that, rather than just seeing them in their essence or seeing their beauty, seeing their goodness. And so it's a really good practice to turn that way, to look through that lens. Another practice is gratitude. When we practice gratitude, when we see how much we have, when we see how much we're given to, I used to do this practice, uh, it was called a never-ending, it was actually a never-ending trust journal, now I come to think of it, but it really became a never-ending gratitude journal because everything that I trusted I felt grateful for, whether it was the roof over my head or the water in the faucet or friends or a paycheck or grass or sunlight or food or clothing or warmth or right, it's just endless things that we're given to and we're blessed by. So in terms of the meditation practice, just like in the meta practice, we use these intentional phrases, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be safe. With compassion, we use the phrase, may you be free from suffering, may you hold your suffering with ease. In the mudita practice, the phrase, uh, um, I something like, I rejoice or I delight in your happiness and success. I delight and rejoice in your happiness and success. Or I'm happy for your happiness. I delight in your happiness. May your joy and success continue. Or may your joy and success flourish. Continue to grow. I delight in your happiness. I'm happy for your happiness. I'm happy for you. May your happiness grow. May your happiness continue. So maybe this week at the end of your meditation, you can just take you know five minutes and call people to mind, friends, loved ones, colleagues. It's really good to do with people that you're kind of a little jealous of at work, who did get that promotion, did get that grant, did get that great review, bonus, and to practice. Can I stretch? Can I, despite my own... Mm-hmm. I should have got that, or our team should have got that. Can I extend my heart? Can I appreciate the work of their happiness?
it's great to do in elections when your you know person you voted for didn't get in and the other team did, you know. Or what about watching sports? That's a great. That's an advanced practice. Can you be happy for the opposing team's victory, right? So those of you watching the playoffs and whatnot, can you be happy in their, in their happiness? Right? They're, all, they're all human beings. It's just a, you know, not so easy. So, comments, questions, experiences about doing this practice. What are your, yes, please. Um, this morning, you and I were walking, taking a walk, and um, there was um, uh, there was this rather frail woman trying to move this huge rock just at the end of the driveway. And so we stopped and helped her move this rock, trying to figure out where she wanted it moved to. And we moved this rock. She was so joyful over this rock being moved. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I found myself just smiling mm -hmm. the rest of our walk. Mm -hmm. nice. And I don't even know why she wanted the rock moving. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. But it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. She was thrilled. Yeah, yeah. So generosity, it's another supportive practice. When we're generous, people, when we feel generous, we feel happy. It's just, it's just innate, it's hardwired into the brain that when we help each other, we feel happy. It's another form of mudita in a way. Yeah. You had mentioned far and near also. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that. Are, are some of these near? Uh, um, comparing, envy, they're all kind of far-ish to me, judging. Meanness, I didn't talk about meanness. Sometimes we're just mean. We're just <laughs> pissed off that someone got a raise. Or we're just grumpy. Like, what are you smiling at? <laughs> uh, the f near enemy, this is an interesting one. Um, and it's, the near enemy is, is, the translation is exuberance. And it's when our... Uh, joy has gotten ungrounded. So we get excitable, but we've lost a sense of, um, and we get swept up in it, so there's a sense of some equanimity being lost, some mindfulness being lost. So, um, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think, I think you know, from, I, I struggle with, with this one in, in some ways, but I think n n the word that comes to mind that makes me relate to it a little better is when when we become insensitive to others. It's almost like gloating, you know, rubbing people's nose in it. That that would be it's, it's like a, a, another version of the near enemy. Yeah. Um. Hmm. No, I'm actually more thinking about my own one's own. Yeah, it's not. It's not quite. It's, it's um. Yeah, I haven't found a really satisfactory translation or, or description of this near enemy, because because the 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 descriptions I've come across are all refer to one's own um, experience of joy, whereas mudita is really about the appreciation of others' well-being and happiness. So. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and, and I guess another near enemy would be would be feigning, you know, pretending. Comments, questions. So, um, what are your obstacles? <laughs> what are your um, blocks? Anybody like to say what gets in the way for you of when someone gets a there's a hand over you? I d- I do have a, a difficult time with this this one, mm-hmm. um, but it's really conditional. I mean, you know, of course, um, if I'm in a good state, it's a lot easier to be appreciate someone else's joy. If I'm feeling, gr- you know, if I things are going well in my life, it's easy to be appreciative of others' joy. When things are not going so well, it's it's a lot harder. Um, but it also seems that um, uh, like it depends who, it, when it's a person. It depends who it's happening to. Like if it's someone who I think is be of as being, you know, who has a lot of humility and is a very sweet person, then of course I'm really happy for them. And then oh, like, oh I thought of um, like Facebook is a perfect example because mm. people generally just post their successes, you mm-hmm. know. That's and so great. I mm-hmm. can see one person's, you know, posting about some triumph, and I'm like, oh, that's so great. And the next person, you know, who, who I think. Oh my God! She has everything already. More God, you know. <laughs> so it it's it's very mm-hmm. conditional, mm-hmm. Um, and that's frustrating because I can't think of a. M- well, it's probably one of not the most, but one of the most kind of, you know, like shameful feelings. Like, oh my God, I can't. <laughs> I'm such a bad person. I, mm-hmm. I'm like you said, the meanness. Mm-hmm. How, how could I not? You know, mm-hmm. how could I? Yeah, disgruntled about this, you know. Right, it's easy to get on that case. Yeah, 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 because it shows up a, a a part of our nature that's not that pretty. Right. You know, just not, and and but it's human, you know. And it's and and just and to to hold it with, with awareness, you know, hold it with with investigation. Like, what 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 is that? Why is it I can delight in this person's posting? And this person's like, ooh, not not again. God, they got that again. Ooh, I hate that. <laughs> uh, and Facebook's a great that's a great place to practice because you're right. It's most people are putting mostly the good stuff, occasionally some hard stuff, but and to see what the response is. So it's like, oh, another response could be, oh please. <laughs> that probably falls into. You know, some probably the far enemy, <laughs> near enemy, You're rolling the eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and to, and to you know, to watch the second arrow. You know, there's the first is the there's the seeing of it. There's the contraction. There's the comparing, and the suffering. And then, well, oh, I shouldn't be like that. I'm such a bad person. How could you be so mean? They're just having. They're just telling us about some innocent thing and. I said, watch, watch the, the judge coming in and just feel the pain of it. And maybe you practice, you know, because it's sort of a interesting place to practice. Maybe you just see what happens when you just say the phrase. Oh, you know, I, I delight in your happiness. 
or maybe that's maybe a little maybe sound too false, but maybe you can say, may your happiness and success continue. That might be more easy to say with some genuineness than I delight because you're not delighting in that moment. But may your may your right. success continue. Like sometimes I do, I just kind of run away from the because it's such a sting. Mm-hmm. And then I just quickly mm-hmm. say a little, oh, maybe they will, maybe we will, and I just distract myself with something else. But it's yeah. fake. It's not. Yeah. 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 No, and it's very common, actually. It's very human. Mm. You know, I got my, f- my friend of mine emailed me today, and he's just published another book. <laughs> 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 like, where does he get time to write? <laughs> Um, another bestseller, probably. <laughs> yeah, and I felt it. It's like, ooh, God, I've just barely got past the introduction of my next book. Darn, I don't have a publisher yet. Darn. <laughs> and it's really painful. Jealousy is one of the most icky feelings, and it's not, it's not uncommon. You know, it's green with envy, right? It's, it's a... That's why the why the Buddha said this quality is rare. I think because it triggers a part of our ego, egoic. You know, it's like very core to our ego structure. It's when someone's doing well, we experience, we perceive it as a th- as a real threat. You know, we're biologically hardwired in that way to be somewhat both collaborative but also competitive, and so. It's it's deep, it's deep conditioning. So, you know, and I'll probably tell my friend that. And just to neutral, just to sort of normalize it, neutralize it. Like, yeah, I was jealous. Yeah, Yeah, to admit it. Like, yeah. (laughs) So humor is good for undercutting that. You know, you know, and yeah. I mean, and just 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 to say, oh, I hate that. <laughs> I'm not necessarily to the face. I mean, you could, but any other obstacles come to mind? Yes, at the back. Um, my name is Carol. Uh, so I don't know if this is an obstacle. It sort of is. I um, I work in a hospital, and I got called up to to do a, to help out on one on a floor, and it was the oncology pediatric oncology floor. And I don't like going up there. It's to me, it's 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 so sad, and the kids are really sick. Mm. And so I finished my task, and I was leaving, and I was in this part of the hallway that I never. Um, I have this image of this floor as just being this really sad place, and in this other part of the hallway, they have a bell. Mounted on the wall, this big brass bell with a rope on it, and it has this little poem over over it that's something like, "I ring this bell so all can hear my treatment's done. I'm out of here." Hmm. And I was like, "Oh my God! I, I I never even thought like that there would be joy here." But yeah, but I can totally see like you're hmm. this little kid and you've been in the hospital for so long, and then you get to ring this bell as you leave. Hmm. Cool. How cool is that? And so hmm. um, it really it it really like brought me joy like I felt really j- joyful for them like I was like I hope well, we may see them ring it sometime mm. you know when some kids leaving because I um I had this I just I had this sort of image of this <clears throat> place as being like nothing but sad and mm. dreary and even though I know from other people talking from people who actually work on that floor that it's not that 
Mm-hmm. You know, the kids are still kids. They, mm-hmm. they have birthdays, they have parties, they do stuff. But, mm. but yeah, having this idea that this kind of experience, there can't be any joy there. Right. right. So it's yeah. kind of an obstacle, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a preconditioned view. Mm-hmm. And there's joy everywhere. You know, in the small, even in someone's dying process, there can be joy. Yeah. Good. Well, well, take, you know, reflect on it this week and do the practice, you know, and the meditation. And, um, and just, you know, pay attention, like be, be tuned into this, this quality as you, you know, look around more, look around at people's, people laughing in the streets or in a bar or in a restaurant or at work or um, when you read Facebook or whatever other social media you're using and, um, or you're a sports fan and the team you hate is winning and mm-hmm. is often the case. <laughs> uh, what, what goes on for you? you know? Have fun with it. Kay. Good to see you and I will see you next week. <laughs>